didn't create the church until Acts. So all of the Old Testament, all through the Gospels, um, there was no church for the formation of discipleship. It was always intended that discipleship would be done in the home. Always. It's always been God's design. In fact, I love it. Part of uh, being in ministry is, is as long as I have, uh, the better half of a decade now, um, almost over a decade now, it's, I was... I trimmed my beard yesterday because we had some family portraits, and I got to noticing, and it happened slowly, looking in that light, and some of them hairs look a little blonder than they used to. I think I've got that curious case of Benjamin Button thing where I'm getting younger as it goes, but this hair up here is just hiding from me right now, so I hope it comes back too. Um, part, of, part of ministry, my favorite thing is when I get a call from from a family, and they, they say, hey, we led little Johnny to Christ in our home the other night, and we, we want you to come talk to him. That's my absolute, you don't know the joy that wells up in me when a parent calls and says, I led my child to Christ, and we want you to come follow up with him. Like, I, I'm like, I'm like, in the truck, like, my truck won't go fast enough because I'm fired up. When I, hear, when I hear and see of families doing discipleship in the home, it does something in me that, that nothing else will. Then we, we turned our affection from the overall family down to the man. And we've been pretty aggressive towards the man. We've, we've talked about how um, God's design for the man, according to Genesis, God's design for the man was to cultivate culture to cultivate creation in order that it would flourish that's God's design for man to cultivate nature so they can have optimum flourishment meaning this it was always God's design for men to work always if you find a man and we're talking to the ladies today but no fear man I've got I've got a couple of freebies with your name all over it all right if you find a man if you're in the dating world, or, or you're a teenager, college student, and you're in the dating world, if you find a man who is unwilling to work, he is not marriage material, all right? Can I say that? Like, if he's too lazy to work, he's too lazy to be called your husband. It doesn't take much biology to be male. Doesn't take much biology to be male. My son is a male by birth, but he's not a man. He's not a man. He's a long way from it. You can be a 25-year-old male and still not be a man. And I know guys are like, you said it was woman's time. And I had guys come by the office today and kind of give me that. And so let, let me give you a, a disclaimer, gentlemen. I don't need you to be Holy Spirit today. All right? Don't. Amen. All right? I don't, I don't, need, I don't need any of this. Right? Let me preach. You guys listen, perceive, and hear from the Lord. Um, this is the first for me. Um, I've preached some Mother's Day stuff before, um, but I've never, normally Mother's Day, and I got, I got called out for this. Normally when we preach Mother's Day, we talk about how great and wonderful the mother is, and yet when we get to Father's Day, we talk about how dumb the man is. And so today, you're not going to get that warm, fuzzy women are the best and all of that. Today, we're going to cut and divide the word of the Lord. And like people were like, you going to be okay today? Like, I don't think I'm going to get mobbed up here today. And so we're going to cut and divide the word of the Lord. And we're going to do it in grace. Um, because listen, here's what I know after seven years of marriage. Um, 
what we're talking about, what I've talked about for the man, and what we're going to start today with the women is that we're all going to fail. In fact, if you want to help yourself, you look at your spouse or, or the people you're sitting next to, and you just go ahead and tell them, I'm a failure. Because none of us have surpassed in this area of what it means to be a gospel-centered husband or wife. If you found your place in Genesis chapter 2, we'll start in verse 18. This is what the word of the Lord says. And then the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was found not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up the place of the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had took from the man, he made into woman and he brought her to the man. And he said, and the man said, this is at last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Father, we pray over your word. Lord, that you would do something incredible in our midst today as we focus on what it means to be gospel-centric in the home. Father, thank you for redeeming us for this moment. God, I pray over everyone under the sound of my voice this morning, God, that you would do a work in their heart that they would long to be more like Jesus today than they were yesterday. Father, we ask and we beg and under the power of the Holy Spirit that your presence would be here. God, if you need to correct someone this morning, I pray your spirit would move. If there's someone in here today who is lost and apart from you, God, that you would move in their heart, that they would see that they can't be in the function that you've designed for them to be in their current state of lostness, and so you'll bring them forth for salvation. For those who need to join our church, for those who need to partner with us in ministry, that you would move in all those ways. In the name of Christ, we ask, and all God's people said, amen. So man's alone, and man's got a job to do, because God created man to labor. God always, God created men to labor. And so Adam is working, and God has created the birds of the air and the beasts of the sea, and they're all coming by him one by one. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. Adam had complete dominion over all of the animals, meaning this. When, when, when the dog came by Adam, he goes, dog. The dog said, my name is forever now, dog. When the cat came by, it, he said, Cat, forever, that animal will be named Cat. Skunk came by, and I don't know why, like, where did he come up with some of these names? I think he just kind of rambled some syllables together, like hippopotamus. You know that brother couldn't spell that, but that's what he called it. He, so all of these things he had complete authority over, and when he called them that, that was their name. And all of a sudden, God saw that he was lonely. Isn't it amazing that we have a God that can see our emotional state and he knows where we're at? 
we may, listen, I know what church in the South is. We all, like, we all put lipstick on the pig and come on. You know, you tracking? Like, we all put our best on and we, we walk in the door. And I've seen minivans pulling into the parking lot. Sounds like World War III going on inside the minivan. And yet, when the doors open, it's like a complete face change. And instead of the kids in the back seat screaming and the moms doing the big ultimate beating thing, you know, you've seen it at 70 miles an hour through the parking lot. They'll slide in, been yelling since 8 o'clock, can't find the kid's shoes or his belt, and all of a sudden when you get out at church, everything's okay. Anybody's more than similar to that? Like, I got a kid right now, I can't, we don't know where his shoes are. He just... We come into church and we act like everything's okay. We come into church acting like we've got it all together, but I know we're all struggling and following Jesus, so... So God sees us as he saw Adam, that Adam was alone. It says he calls a deep sleep to come over him. This is so unique, first surgery ever recorded in all of the world. And it says that Adam, that God took a rib from Adam and he made the woman. There's some significant language there. Number one, the fact that God took a rib. The rib is significant because of, number one, the location. The rib's on the side, which means that the woman is not inferior to the man or superior to the man, but the woman stands in equality with the man always. He didn't didn't take a tailbone. he He didn't take the kneecap. He didn't take a toe. He says he took a rib. She's going to be equal to the man, but also... Because of the rib, think about the functionality of the ribs. What are the ribs there to take? They're supporting your organs, right? They're protecting your heart. So the fact that God took the rib from Adam to make Eve shows that man will be vulnerable to the woman. He's not going to have this domineering relationship that he has with everything else. This relationship that he now has with this woman who God has created for him will be different. So today, the whole sermon's kind of built around one phrase in, in 2.18 of Genesis. When God sees that Adam is alone, he, he makes this statement. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. The woman is the helper. The woman is the helper. But I know where your minds go because I kind of put some feelers out this week and kind of got some people's opinions on this. And when we start thinking of the word helper, we often think of someone inferior, right? Like if a plumber comes over to your house and he introduces himself and he says, hi, I'm Bob the plumber and this is my helper, Joe, who do you think's in charge? Bob, right? You're wrong, it's Bob's wife, right? We often think, we often think of this idea of helper as someone who is inferior to the woman. That word helper is unique. In the Greek, it's called azar. I've given you that so that you can, if you've never seen biblical Greek, that's what it looks like. You read it left to right, not right to left. And and this word azar is unique. As I began to study this week and look at this word in particular, because if we're going to claim that women are equal to man, we have to prove it biblically. If we're going to make audacious statements, we have to back it up biblically. So we begin to look at this word, 
Azar. And what that means, and what's the context? It means helper or, or one who will aid. But I began to look at it, and it has a unique history. The word was used several times in the Bible. Let me give you some of these. Exodus 18, starting in verse 14. And it says, And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, God my father will be my help. There's that word, Azar, that word help. And he will deliver me from Pharaoh. So, so if we're going to make the claim that, that there's some equality here, we have to first debunk the concept that women would be inferior to the man. And so when God himself claims that I am Azer, I am your helper, God's not dependent on anyone. Can, can, can we testify to that today? God doesn't need you. And for God to claim that he's your helper changes the context because a helper's not dependent on the subject if God is the helper. God doesn't need you to help. He, he's aiding here and he's walking. But Deuteronomy 33, 7. He, and this he said of Judah. Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah and bring in his people with your hands and contend for him and be a help against your adversary. Again, the Lord here is the Azar. Deuteronomy 33, 26 says, There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help. God is your Azar. God is your Azar. You're like, what, what, why do you keep saying that word that we don't really know what it means? For God to come alongside and be that word, that Azar, there's clearly no inferiority over the man to the woman. In fact, it would almost be the opposite. When God looked down at Adam and saw Adam toiling in the garden, he said, he's alone and he's not fulfilling what I've asked him to do. He's not cultivating the land for optimum nourishment. He says, so let me create an asher. Let me create a helper, someone who will come to his side, not behind him. Someone who will come to his side, not in front of him. He creates a helper. But then the back half of this, he, he creates a helper. And for us, because he created the helper, we know it's good for us. And we know that the man is not now subordinate over anyone. But the second clause, he created a helper fit for him. I love that. I love that God didn't just create something and say this will work. God didn't create something and say maybe this will fit. He created a helper that was fit for Adam. Meaning that, that the man had vulnerabilities that God created the woman to make. Or to fit or to conceal. This means for us is Eve becomes equal in dignity, equal in worth, and equal in importance. Adam's not the superior product of the garden. No longer Adam is no longer in complete control. Now there is a team. Now for when when if you believe in, in the Moses authorship of of the Torah, when Moses was writing this down as he had heard it from Abraham, when Moses when Moses wrote this down. This would have been a slap in the face at all of, all of Jewish culture. 
And, and Jewish culture, by the time that Moses pins this down, women are seen as an object, as part of the estate. When you read through Joshua and Judges, and you read through what, what women went through to, to be married, it was often contracts, not necessarily covenants. They become part of the man's property, and yet Moses calls them equal. This would not have been popular when it began to circulate. This would not have been, been popular as people began to read it, because in this culture, man wants to create dominance over the woman. If you give man long enough, he's going to try to be God. The greatest heart of man, what we've seen from Genesis, is that man desires to be God. So, so God creates Eve, and she's fit for him. It says, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother, and they will create a complementarian relationship. You know, women, you were created... You were created, God had a plan and a purpose for your creation to complement the man. Meet, meet him where he is weak. You meet him where he is weak. But that's not all you are. That's not all you are. When, when I, I meet women who, I, seminary will, will warp your mind a little bit. Uh, we were down in, in seminary and we met so many people and, and I don't know where you come up with this, but they were, and, and my wife will tell you, being married to a pastor is not as glorious as it looks. Um, I know some of you think, huh, he's pretty amazing, and you'd be right. <laughs> we met people who were on campus with us who, I'm not kidding, they were after the MRS degree. Like, that was all they wanted. Some of you go catch that on the way home, and you're going to giggle. They just wanted to get married. So they go down to a, a campus where 90% of the population are men who are serving the Lord and who are faithful. And they think, well, this is a great pool to go snap some, some men up in. We can just go down here. They're all loving Jesus and the Bible. And I'm going to go down here and enroll, but I'm really looking for. And we'd meet people who, who would have the audacity to tell you that. Like, oh, you're helping our Southern Baptists for show. Women are more than just a wife. Women are more than just housekeepers. When we start to develop relationships that are complementary to one another, that means that as the wife, you complement the husband and everything he is, and as the man, you complement the wife and everything that she is. Remember, God's design for man was to cultivate nourishment so that we could have optimum growth. Part of the man's job is to cultivate a relationship with his wife for her optimum growth, but her job is the same thing. Let me ask you, ladies, how are you creating an environment in your home that your husband would have optimum growth? Because remember what the Bible says. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking to the man and about how the man should lead. If, if you're not willing to follow, the Bible speaks clearly to you. The, the Bible has placed man as the authoritarian in the home. He is, he is the one that God's placed the pressure, according to Ephesians 5. And I know in this culture, we don't like hearing that. I know in the culture, when, when, when we talk to women about submitting to your husband, they kind of get that frown, borrowed eye, and they're like, we, we just don't like that. It's not natural. And it's not. It, it, submitting to your husband will be the most unnatural thing you've ever done. Be the most unnatural thing you've ever done. 
But it's the thing God calls you. Because remember, Ephesians 5, God calls the wife, to, you submit to your husband. And all the men are like, yes, right. Submit. But then God tells the man, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. And he gave himself for the church. When you start unpacking that, I promise you submitting is way easier than leading. In fact, most men would, would say, it's a burden we really didn't want on our shoulders. But as an evangelical, as a believer in Jesus, it's the one that God placed there. So we have this complementarian relationship that God has given to us to live in. Remember man's role as we go forth. Adam was insufficient in the task, so God created Eve. But what does this relationship look like? What does this relationship look like for the believer? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to the New Testament, to Titus. This is a great passage. If you're in here today and you're like, I want to see this played out. What, am I, what are my roles? How am I going to achieve this? What are we going to be like? Guys, buckle up here because you're going to get a little dose too. All right? Titus 2, starting in verse 2, says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, but they are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be vowed. So what does this look like in the home? What does this look like in the home the Apostle Paul writes to Titus, and he tells him that the women are to be self-controlled. Women are to be self-controlled. In, in your home, you should be the voice of reason. Um, and how this plays out in our home, there are days I come in, and y'all won't believe this because y'all know each other. There are days I come home, and I've been, I've been riled and ruffled every which way but loose, right? Like I come in, sometimes you have bad days, and sometimes as men, the wife is who's going to catch it, right? And but... Y'all don't, don't, we ain't having church today? Okay, okay. Sometimes we bring frustration home, and, and my wife will do this as well. Um, frustration that we cannot display at work, frustration that we cannot display anywhere else, and so it, it comes home, and, and she knows when I've walked in and had a bad day. She doesn't have to guess. Like, I kind of, I, I read, like, a book, and so I'm walking in, and I'm, I drive in, and I'm I turn the and I'm slamming doors all the way up to the house. She knows when I've had a bad day, and, and so part of what she, she'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, she, if you know my wife, like, she doesn't have a lot of compassion towards me, that's not a fault of hers. She just cuts it straight. Like, she doesn't beat around the... She's like, why are you acting like a three-year-old? I come walking in stomping my... Why are you mad? Let's talk about it. She knows how to control the home in such a way that, that she's displaying self-control. She also knows when to tell me to shut up. We've been in public before. She's like, hush, hush, hush. Because she knows I'm fixing to operate in the flesh. Like, she can see it in my face when this thing clears and all of a sudden, like, I, I resurrect the flesh and we're fixing to get it. She knows that. So in, her, in our complementary relationship, she knows when I'm about to lose it. And she's able to step in and go, hey, well, let's, let's think about what you're doing. Let's think about what you say. 
my wife is the most important person in my life on this planet because she is my complementary to myself. She sees when I'm weak. She sees when I'm wrong. She's able to guide there. And she does it in grace. She doesn't walk in and be like, you blade, you're an idiot. Like, there's a lot of times I'm bouncing theology off of her and I'm asking her these questions and, and I'll ask her if this is even a word and, and that kind of deal. Like, she spell checks all my stuff and, and she's like, and you graduated? And it's like, she's, she's the smartest person in our home. She graduated in three and a half years, magna cum laude. I graduated in <clears throat> years and I was, uh, I graduated, thank you, Laude. And uh, she uses self-control to be able to lead in our home, but she also shows a nurturing spirit. Part of being a, a wife is being the nurturer because sometimes you know, and, and you ever seen a man that gets sick? W- women, come on. Like, you give me a sinus infection, I'm down for three days. I'm down for three days. Like, don't, I don't need the kit. Just, just, I'm on my own. I'm praying the rapture down. You let me get the stomach bug, and I am praying the rapture. I'm, I'm walking in the Spirit trying to get Jesus to come back. Like, I don't do well sick. I, I don't get sick often, but when I do, I'm out. The wife becomes the nurturer, and, and she begins to nurture me. But also, we, we see that, and we'll talk about this next week, as she's also in charge of nurturing the family because she's ultimately co-heirs with me in leading our family in the discipleship effort. So it's just as much, now it's my responsibility as the man to lead my family, but she gets to walk alongside me and say, hey, we need to make sure this is getting done. Hey, we need, she's encouraging me to, to make sure we're doing this, make sure we're taking the time. She's, she's as important as anything else to making sure that our home is nurtured, not only physically and emotionally, but spiritually as well. She's also wise. Women, you've got to be wise as you love and lead from your home. As you love. And listen, I'm not saying, like that verse talks about um, women working in the home. I, I affirm greatly that women can work outside the home. That's, that's not what that's saying. But it does say that, that God has wired the woman to, to be the, the head of, of the actual physical house. Women are created, you were created in such a, a meticulous way. Like a man, you may track with me here, fellas. Like I will walk by a dirty dish sitting on the end table for two weeks, never even seeing it's there. Like, and, and Katie's like, did you not see that? I'm like, I did not. Like it's not that like, I'm, I'm dumb and can't see. Like I, it's just my mind's going other places and I haven't seen that cup. I haven't seen that cup. So she's wise. She knows how to deal with me. She knows how to operate in that. And she knows how to um, help in the managing money. When guys get together, we often joke. And there's this big joke running that's been running for years that the man wears the pants and the women be like, yeah, but I iron them britches, right? That doesn't work. If one side is declaring dominance of the other, you're not going to see this gospel-centric home. You're not going to see it. You're not going to be functioning well if one side is declaring dominance. Because even though man is, has been placed in charge, he's never to show dominance. So even in the budget, like last night, we, two nights ago, like we sat down, had very serious conversations, and those happened in our home. 
often, like, we don't live in this perfect house where we never argue. Sometimes it's knockdown, drag out, all right? Sometimes when you've been married um, longer than three minutes, you realize that personalities clash, and there are times that, that you have to discuss, and you both have to be wise when you're talking about your home. You both have to be wise, because there's no eject button for us. Like, when we said, I do, we said forever. Uh, we don't joke divorce. We don't talk divorce. Um, we talk murder, but never divorce. And so that's just how we operate. Not only is she going to be wise, but she's going to be life speaking. She's going to be life. Listen, I have a job that I'm critiqued every week. People send me emails all the time that I didn't like that. I didn't like you did that. I didn't, da, 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 da. And like, I, I read those. I'm like, uh-huh, delete, click. And it's not that I don't love you. It's just that I don't answer to you. When I preach, I'm not preaching so that you like what I say. I'm preaching because God has placed in my heart what we're preaching, and I'm a lot more afraid of him than I am of you, okay? Like, you may say, we're not paying you. And I'm like, my God owns the cattle on every hill. You're not scaring me. Like, uh, we, we've seen God do incredible things out of nothing. Like, don't, don't come up to me like that. And so people will, will come up to me, and, and, and I hear things, and I'm like, you know, that, I just didn't like that. And I, I, I'm like, thank you so much. I'm going to go home, go to bed. I'm going to sleep great. Like, you're not going to say something to me. Like, I've been in this game long enough that I'm, like, I take it on the chin. I'm like, whatever, you know, you know if you, your problem's not with me, it's with Jesus, all that stuff, you know. Um, you're not going to say, even if you came in after church today and you said, I didn't agree with any of that, and you flipped the table over and walked outside, like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm like, what kind of crazy is that? And, I, like, I'm going to pray for you as you walk away, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to eat lunch, and I'm going to cuddle up on the couch with my son, and we're going to take a great nap. Like, it's not going to bother me. But Katie can hint at something in my life, and it destroys me. She can hint at a place where I'm not operating well. Not only do I not lose, not only do I lose sleep, but I'm, I'm not even able to really rebound from it. I, she can, with words, cut me quicker than anything else. Women, you've been given the ability, the place where I'm vulnerable. And I've heard guys say, well, that's why I just don't let myself, well, then you're not working this covenant relationship well. Like, we don't detach and we don't put up barriers so we don't get hurt. That's not marriage. It's a contract. God didn't call you to a contract. He called you to a marriage. Ladies, your words will cut or build up quicker than anything else. If you come in and your husband, and, because I know, I know you want your husband to lead in the family. You want him to be that spiritual leader. One way for him not to be that spiritual leader is for you to nag him about it. Like that's guaranteed prescription. If you go on and be like, why aren't you doing this? He's not going to be like, oh, let me just start right now. Like we're not wired that way. We're, we're, we're gonna, we always deflect first, and then we want to argue before we ever realize we're, we're wrong. Building up will work much faster than tearing down. Use your words to build up your husband. Don't tear him down. He's not going to benefit from that. It's not going to be spiritually good for him if you rip him apart and expect him, he's just now going to do better. You're not his football coach. He's not going to respond positively to that. She's a life speaker. But what does this look like in the church? What about women's role in the church according to scripture? It tells them that they are servants. Right now, we have women who are leading in our church in servant 
roles right now. Even, even as our children were dismissed to Children's Church, um, our, our children's director is back there with them, and she's speaking life to them. Now, I was listening, or Katie was listening to Way FM. She got riled up. Um, she doesn't get fired up very often about some things, but she said, it, it, we, like, it was early, and like, when I'm early, like, I mean early, early, like, before 7 o'clock, and she's like rapid fire texting me about, so like Way FM was talking about women in ministry and talking about how um, the, the DJs were like, we don't even know in the Bible where that says that, and anytime like you say you don't know where something in the Bible is, don't speak to it, like that's just free. Um, there, women have roles in the church, and we need them to operate, and, and they have with such grace. Outside of a, a pastoral leadership role and, and even in our deacons, we need women all hands on deck. We've got great women teachers who are leading and they're stepping out. We need, we need women serving in every facet. Because here's what I learned in early in ministry. I would walk into a church and, and I, I would think, because I've got some degree behind my name, I obviously know everything in the world to know about ministry. But what I quickly learned is I'm not near as smart as I thought I was, and the people around me are way better at this than I am. And so I would put around me, I always, and people are like, why do, you, why do you do it? I would always have like a couple of men and the majority women. Number one, because women will go get it done. Women will go get it done. Man will look for someone else to do it. But women will go get it done. But they also think in ways that I don't think. They often think in ways that I don't think. There's a reason that women and men think so differently because you're complimenting one another. Like there are things I've come home and I thought I've got the greatest idea. We're going to have the third great awakening in the United States. And I come home and I tell that to Katie and she's like, yeah, that's not going to work. And at first I'm like, woman, you better submit. And she's like, well, have you thought, like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And by the time she's done, I'm sitting over in the corner rocking violently because I'm an idiot. Your servants, in the church, we, we have women on our leadership team here. They're in our council. They, we hear from them often, and they're often wise. And they say, you serve. You serve well. And listen, I, I, I get this question, do, do I have to be married to serve? No, you don't. No, you don't. God's optimum for you is that. God created men and women to be married. Um, he, he tells us that. Uh, Genesis, it's not good for the man to be alone. But listen, when, when the optimum is lacking, grace abounds. When the optimum is lacking, grace abounds. And so you serve well. You serve well. And, and listen, this is a great time to, to stop here. We know not every marriage has ran well. We know that. We know in our audience we've got widows, we've got single moms, we've got women married to guys who aren't believers. We know this. But let me remind you, when the optimum is lacking, when the design that God created is lacking, God's grace abounds. God's grace abounds. So you don't have to think, well, I'm, I'm somehow my home is insufficient. No, God's grace abounds. God's grace abounds. And, and we, for, especially for single moms, I, one day I'm just going to preach a message on single moms because I think they're some of the greatest people in all of the world. We are, are a church that is established to help you. If you're a single mom and you don't think I'm in this alone, no you're not. You've got 150 people here who are willing and able to help because we desire to walk alongside you and help encourage 
and help build and help point children to Christ. So women serve, but they also teach. They, they teach and they're able to use funds. I love getting in small groups when there's women there. Um, I, I love that setting because I, I get to see the perplexity of their mind. If you show a man a, a steak, he thinks steak. That's all he thinks, steak, meat, good. Like some of you right now are like, that's right. Steak be good for lunch, right? You show the woman the same picture, she's not going to be like, steak, meat. She's going to think like, now people are coming over and we've got to we get plates and drinks. And what are you going to eat with that steak? You're just going to eat steak? You're going to eat potatoes and salad. Like, there's complexity behind the woman and it's a beautiful part. But they're also disciple makers. Now we've got some women in this church who are disciple makers. They're not just showing up. They're actively engaged. Remember what, what the... Remember what the Titus passage says to the woman. It it tells her to teach young women to love their husbands and children. We walk alongside and we disciple, but they also live out loud. They also live out loud their examples to others. This is, I'm going to step in an area which is going to be uncomfortable for me, but I hope it works. The hardest thing for the woman to do is be submissive to her husband in public. Like most of us would say, you know, in the home that's one thing, but when you get around your girlfriends, when you get around people and and all of a sudden now they're like, hey, let's go make these decisions. My wife is very cautious to always check and make sure that, that I'm aware or that, that it, this is a good decision. And it's not because she's incompetent. It's not because she can't make a decision or she's indecisive. indecisive but it's because she wants, to, she wants to be an example to others, especially when she's around lost people. Like, I can honestly say my wife doesn't tear me down in front of her friends. I don't have any fear in that. She constantly, because she, she doesn't tear me down in the home. So I would not expect her to do it in public. She builds me up. And she will have co-workers who she comes home and she says, and they just, and they just destroy their husbands. They, they destroy their spouses. And they, they talk with such negativity. And, and I just, I have confidence. I, I am so thankful to love a woman who loves Jesus that she's not going to do that. In the midst of lost people, she's not going to run me down. Or in the midst of saved people, she's not going to run me down. She's going to build up and show submissive because listen the culture that we live in says why are you doing that what about passive what about all of these things and and the women have to be the no the bible says that 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 when women are led by a spiritual man this is a beautiful thing that god has designed and created in fact when most lost people see this played out they will become envious in the idea of it though they will attack it but in the visual of it it's a blessing from the lord Ladies, you should always be building your husband up, especially in the midst of pagans. Don't ever let them see you run your husband down, because what are you telling about Jesus? Notice what it says at the end of this passage in Titus. It, It tells us, be submissive to your own husband that the word of God may not be reviled. You cannot profess to walk with Jesus and bash your husband in public. You can't. Scripture, Bible saying you're doing the wrong thing. This vile language isn't to be mentioned. You're not operating in the right way. You should be living this 
out so that others see Christ in you. Because listen, it's only Christ in you when you'll be submissive. And listen, I'm not talking about you walk in, yes sir, no ma'am. My wife doesn't do that. She doesn't walk in, can I get you a sandwich? No, she'll be like, get your own sandwich. Being submissive doesn't mean I, I have this built-in housekeeper nanny cook. That's not what that means. It means I have someone who is trusting in me to walk in the manner worthy of following Jesus. That's what that means. Like she's, she's not some slave. She's not some person that I'm just throwing all my responsibility on and saying, figure it out. She's aiding in me and creating a culture for ultimate, ultimate nourishment. That's what I was called to do, and she's now my helper. I pray today. Maybe you see some things in your life and you're like, you know, no, I'm not really operating here well. I've kind of got this streak. And listen, for those wives in here, those ladies in here who are either not married or maybe you're married to someone who doesn't follow Christ, you keep serving Jesus well. You never stop. You hold high expectations up for other people around you and you keep leading in the home. It, it would be impossible for you to submit to someone who's not following Jesus. That's not a prescription for divorce. That's a prescription for evangelism. And so we are praying for you that you would lead well as women. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time in the Word that we've got to see and, and your design for men and your design for women and how the women are so intricately created to, to be that complementarian to the male and how both of those relationships when they're practiced biblically make a beautiful union that will point people to Christ Lord I pray over every woman under the sound of my voice that they would be able to have a fresh way of practicing this submission so that they could be optimal for Christ and for the man, he doesn't see this as an opportunity to gain authority over her, but yet would humble himself to cultivate in her the ability to succeed. May we never see ourselves as people who are one step above, but may we always, like you called your disciples, humble ourselves so that we can lead like you would. Thank you for the, the marital relationship that you've designed and created, and it's yours. God, we pray that we would do well in it. Father, I pray for this flock, that if there's some here today that don't know Christ, that you would bring them forth. If they need to join our church, that you'd give them boldness to step out. Lord, whatever they will today, that you would guide and direct. It's in the name of Christ that we pray.